Good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And, well, winner, right? Winner decides to make a comeback all around the country here in Atlanta, too. Just like, you know, we're seeing all the snow, the poor folks up in the Northeast getting pounded by the snow. It feels so badly for you folks. I don't really mind it as much, the you know, cold temperatures coming back down here, because I started to see the azaleas starting to bud a little bit last week. In the last few years, at Augusta National. I'm going to be back there for the Monday practice round on April the 2nd. Can't wait. But the last few years, the azaleas have already bloomed by the time tournament week came around. There was a stray bloom here or there on the golf course, and I was afraid we were in for another year of that. But with the return of the cold weather, I hope the blooms delay a little bit, you know, at least a couple of weeks, and then we get peak azalea season at Augusta National. 20 days, my son and I are going to be walking those grounds again. It's uh, one of my favorite days of the year, and like I say, I absolutely cannot wait. But before we get into this week's show, I want to give a quick shout-out to my favorite twins, Matthew and Mitchell Lawrence. I'm, I'm so relieved now that Matthew show Backspin Golf is back on the air on Sunday mornings. It's my regular 8.03 a.m. tea time. It's broadcast on ESPN AM 1300 WLXG up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it by going online to WLXG.com. Matthew also hosts a weekly drive time show from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern time that blows away any drive time show in the country. I listen daily on my drive home here in Atlanta. Download the WLXG app and tune in like I do on my smartphone. His four-minute older brother, Mitchell, has also got a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It is called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find on golfnewsnet.com or over on Audioboom. He and his partner, Darren Bunch, travel all over the world and let you know great places to play golf, stay, eat while you're there. It's a fantastic show. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, available on golfnewsnet.com or on Audioboom. Tonight here on Next on the Tee, I've got a trio of wonderful guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. First up, I'm going to get a return visit from 2013 Senior Open champion Mark Wiebe. I'll talk to Mark about what's going on on both the PGA and Champions Tour. We'll talk a little Tiger Mania and hear about the wide, how wide open the Champions Tour is becoming. Plus, Mark is a fantastic teacher of the game now, so I'll tap into a little bit of that, get some playing lessons from him. Mark will be along with me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from another great player out on the Champions Tour who is also helping others develop their games now, and that's Guy Burrows. Guy has a, you know, has had a lot of success. Every time, every time Mark went north of the border into Canada, he had a great deal of success during his playing career. Five victories in Canada and all, plus three over on the Web.com Tour. He won the Canadian Order of Merit back in 1991. His father, Julius Burrows, we all know, right, Hall of Famer, remains the oldest player to ever win a major. Julius was 48 years old when he won the PGA Championship back in 1968. So we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, catch up with Guy. Looking forward to having him back on the show about a half an hour from now. And then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from Tim Orban. Tim is the Caddy Services Manager for the Western Golf Association. He, along with two of our friends here on the show, uh, Caddy Hall of Famer Dennis Cohn and Steve Mona, who's the CEO of the World Golf Foundation, have been working on a program to get caddies back into courses around the country. They're starting to make a little bit of headway, so I look forward to hearing all about that when Tim joins me later on in the hour. So, folks, more great stories coming your way tonight here on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. And as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about what they have going on up there. 
Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and to book your stay. And, folks, have you heard me talking about Club Hub sensors over the last few months? It's the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Club Hub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you're making on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Club Hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips, and I can tell you. Since I put the Club Hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all of the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and the green, but after the round you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole of the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market captures all of that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Club Hub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com to order your set of Club Hub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. We're also excited to be partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. They are back with the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markup that you hate. Now you can buy premium Ben Hogan irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags directly from the factory at prices your wallet's really going to appreciate. Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com or give them a call at 844-53-HOGAN. That's 844-534-6426 to learn more and order your set today. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. Their spring collection has arrived. The shift in seasons is an opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They've added some great details, fresh colors, new additions with genuine enduring character. They make style easy because you can find coordinated outfits and a variety of color, color options right there online at bobbyjones.com. Again, go check them out, bobbyjones.com. And as you know, we've been partnering with Russ Holden and the great folks over at Caddy for a Cure. One of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fanconia anemia. You're going to get to walk side-by-side side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, which includes Under Armour logoed apparel and an eyewear package, a tour-grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a tin cup ball marking gift, chef's cut real jerky, and professional photographs from your day. They've got a spot open right now to caddy for Bryson DeChambeau up, up at Hilton Head after the Masters, so go check that out. If you go online to caddyforacure.com, that's C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E, caddyforacure.com, you'll learn more about booking that and uh, see all the great things that they are doing. 
All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is 2013 Senior Open Champion and now one of the top instructors in the game, Mark Wiebe. Let me remind you about Mark's background. He is from Seaside, Oregon, grew up in Escondido, California, played his college golf at Palomar Junior College and then transferred over to San Jose State. While at Palomar, he was the individual medalist at the 1977 California Amateur and he won the 1977 Idaho Amateur as well. He was named second-team All-American in 1979 at San Jose State. That season, he and Don Levin won the, C the Silverado Invitational up in Napa, California. Turned pro in 1980 and started on the PGA Tour in 1983. His first career win came at the 1985 Anheuser-Busch Classic when he beat John Mahaffey with a birdie on the first playoff hole. Won again the following year at the 1986 Hardee's Golf Classic by one shot over Kurt Byron, thanks to a uh, birdie on the 17th hole on the final round. Mark matched Bobby Watkins' record for being the youngest winner on the Champions Tour at 50 years and 10 days old when he won the SAS Championship. 2013, he won the Senior Open Championship at War Royal Birkdale. He defeated Bernhard Langer on the fifth playoff hole to capture that Senior Major Championship after a final round 66. Later in 2013, he captured the Pacific Lynx Hawaii Championship again in a playoff over Corey Pavin and always won eight times as a professional, twice on the PGA Tour, five times on the Champions Tour, plus the 1986 Colorado Open. And I'm thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thank you. That is, you're so kind. So, Mark, I, I, I saw you played earlier this year at the Mitsubishi Championship over in Hawaii. I wasn't sure we were going to get the pleasure of seeing you much out on the Champions Tour this year. Is that a good sign for all of us who are big fans of yours? Well, again, you're, you're very nice. Uh, I thought, I'd, uh, as we've talked about in the past, I've, I've got a neck injury that uh, I've been trying to avoid any kind of surgery to get better. So this was my last-ditch effort without surgery to I took off wow uh, out of the last six months before that tournament I had a golf club in my hand maybe five of those days uh, totally inactive rested my neck thought maybe I could get everything just to simmer down and uh, unfortunately the same thing happens when I play multiple days in a row it, Starts off fine. I feel pretty good. I feel like I'm actually a good golfer again. And by the third or fourth day in a row, I don't really have a chance. I'm, my, uh, I just have too many issues and my, my shoulders and my neck kind of seize up. And I, there's, it's too long to talk about, but strength issues. My, I have numbness in my hands and shoulders. And so unfortunately, uh, for sure this year, that will be the only event I play um, unless something happens between now and the senior British. Uh, I sure would like to go over and play the old course there at St. Andrews. But um, as far as that goes right now, I am, I'm just trying to focus on teaching and uh, being the director of instruction at San Jose country club and trying to share everything I've learned in the last 30 some odd years of playing tour golf. And Mark, you know, I follow you on Twitter, and folks, you can follow Mark on Twitter, at MarkWeeby33. And as I was looking at some of the things, you know, from your time over in Hawaii, it seems like you were a, a bit disappointed with Greg McLaughlin, the president of the, of the Champions Tour. How, how did everything go over there? Um, 
Well, I think I was probably, first of all, I was a little sensitive because my health has just not been in a good way for me to continue to play golf. And uh, nobody really knew except me. And I, I'm not saying it's over forever, but I, I kind of knew if this wasn't going to work, um, taking all this time off, that uh, I wasn't going to be playing anymore. So in my mind, that, that may have been my last tournament I ever played as a professional. Uh, and I, I think I was sensitive to some things and Greg and I since have talked and, uh, and we've come to an understanding that it, it, that it was a misunderstanding and, uh, and that's, that's all. It was just kind of a, kind of a deal. I think my nerves were on, on end and, uh, a little afraid and I probably let some things bother me that usually don't, usually it's not that big a deal and. Uh, but everything's fine now. Everything's fine now. I, I just I wish I could play, but unfortunately, uh, not right now. That's for sure. Mark, I want to get some of your thoughts about what we're seeing out on tour right now. And I love all the young guns, you know, that are playing well on the tour that have been over the last few years. You know, the Jordan Speeds and the Justin Thomases, Ricky Fowlers, all those guys. But over the last few weeks, we've seen Phil Mickelson lurking around the top of the leaderboard and then got a win a little over a week ago. Tiger seems to be in the same pattern. He's sort of lurking around. You know, you got to feel like, you know, a win isn't that far away from him. Paul Casey, who's 40, right, won this past Sunday. Rory Sabatini playing well, a tie for fifth. So it's the 40-somethings that are starting to make a resurgence. What, what's your theory about why we're seeing those guys playing so well and beating guys that are, you know, 20-plus years younger than they are? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not real sure. I, I do really believe that in, in the game of golf, since it, you know, you're not, you're not in football, you're hitting someone or in baseball, you're trying to knock it out of the park or, or run faster or throw farther and harder than everyone else. Um, golf is just kind of that where you're playing against the golf course and it's just yourself. So I do believe as you get older, <laughs> Maybe not in all cases, but as you get older, you should be getting smarter because the more golf you play, the more rounds you have competitively, uh, the more well-rounded you become on your whole game. So it's you learn every aspect as as you go through the years of, you know, there might be phases of you're physically, you're the best you've been for a while because your swing is right on and you've spent all this time in the practice range and you've grooved your game and your swing. And then there might be another phase you go to that you're chipping in every round you play. You're pitching and chipping so well that uh, you've peaked out on, on that. And, you know, obviously putting always keeps you in the game. So, uh, I just think that as you, as you get older, um, and you kind of take care of yourself, all those guys you mentioned are all pretty, in pretty good shape. Uh, I think in the, in the case of Paul Casey, there's a guy that I can't believe has only, that was only a second win on tour. I, I, I just had no idea. I would have said eight times he's won on tour. Um, so I, I think that there's some guys that maybe, have been lurking around who just haven't had that, you know, you need, not only do you need to be good, but you need to be, to have some good fortune to win a tournament and, and it's hard to win a tournament. So sometimes, you know, guys like Paul Casey somehow slip between the cracks and maybe don't get there 
their wins. But uh, like I said, he's in good shape. He's a great player. He's super long. Obviously, 21 putts on Sunday, he can putt the ball. And as you know, putting is the great equalizer. You can you can always be a marginal ball striker and a great putter, and you can win. But if you're a marginal putter and a great ball striker, you may never win. So putting has to be, it has to be first and foremost in all of these guys' games. And they are. I don't, I mean, I watched a lot of the golf this weekend and, you know, it was exciting to see Tiger back up in the mix again. Well, I mean, if you just look at everything, that's the best he's pitched the ball since I can remember, pitched and chipped the ball, and he putted really good. And if you look at Phil Mickelson's game, Phil's always been uh, an erratic. No, I'm not going to say erratic. He has that one or two shots that go way offline, but he also has a whole bunch of drives and shots that go right down the tubes, um, meaning Broadway, right down the middle of the fairway and long. But if you look at his putting stats, he's putting pretty good. So there's some some common denominators with these older fellas you're talking about. And I really, if you watch them, not only are they kind of keeping their heads in the game and, and keeping their games in the game, but they are at a peak putting right now. And so coincidentally, we see their names back up at the top of the leaderboard. So do you think Tiger and Phil become two of the favorites at, at Augusta? Well, Phil's won there three times, I think. Right. And Tiger's, Tiger's won three times. Four, I think. Four, I think, for Tiger. Four times. Um, yep. I, I'm going to give it to the, to the left-handers at Augusta. I'm going to give Bubba and Phil the, the nod of favorites. Um, simply because as a left-hander, you're just trying to slice it um, on all those holes. And in the golf that I've played over the years, I always felt like it was easier to slice the ball than it was to hook a ball and have control. Um, so the left-handers get to get up and slice that ball up all of those holes that the righties are trying to hit a nice high right-to-left shot. Um, so I'm always going to give the nod to uh, the lefties. but And I'm, I'm not sure – yet as a favorite with Tiger at Augusta, but totally Phil, with, without a doubt. I mean, he's, he's already, before he even won in Mexico, he's already taking his game to another level. You could tell. He was in, and he even mentioned it in some of, some of his press conferences, he's back in the hunt again. So it's not that he gets in and he wins when he's in, or he's an occasionally there. He had a chance to win a few tournaments on the back nine on Sunday. So when you get kind of in that position and you get used to that again and you're putting like these guys uh, are putting now, you know, I think you're, you're becoming the favorite whether you want to be or not. So, Mark, when you, when you look at the field and for the game of golf, would it be better for the game of golf? If Phil or Tiger won, or would it be better for the game if you know one of the young guys, whether it's you know Spieth wins again, or JT breaks through and gets his first Masters, or a DJ or Ricky Fowler wins it? What would be better for the game, for the older guys to win, or for the younger guys to win? Well, you're talking to an older guy, so I'm thinking <laughs> in in my mind, 
those younger guys are going to win for years. They're, they're no, those guys aren't flashes in the pans. They're really good young players that know how to win. It's not just being a good player or solid. It's knowing how to close the door, how to win on Sundays, and Jordan and Fowler and Steve, I mean, sorry, and uh, Thomas and all these young guys you mentioned, they're not afraid of anything. If they're on, they know that they're probably, if not the best in the field, they are on the top three or four of the best in the field. So um, they're going to have their their wins. Uh, I'm always going to be pulling for the older guys because I I am an older guy. And I I just think golf is – I I don't – it probably doesn't matter in the long run um, because it's it's so compelling to watch – Phil Mickelson, at the age of 47 years old, go out and compete with who's the youngest out of that bunch? Is it Spieth? I think probably. I would say JT is a little younger than Spieth. I think he's a okay. year younger. Okay, so there you go. JT's in there, and he, JT's 21 or 22 Three. or 23 or something, and then he's still 47, and they're in a playoff. If that's not compelling golf, I don't know what is because try to find that in another sport. I mean, try to find a 47-year-old guy keeping up with the 23-year-old guy in basketball, football, baseball, soccer. I mean, there isn't a sport that I can think about. Swimming, tennis, you're just not going to compete. I mean, you're going to compete at different times and for – different time periods, but to actually go through four rounds of a tournament and come out and be, and be on top. Uh, Cause you're looking at your, in, your interest wane over as you get older. I mean, Phil has kids and he's got high schools and colleges to think about and decisions to be made. I'm, I'm sure he's heavy into course design. So he's got businesses going on. And but when he can when he gets on the golf course and can drop everything and go try to win a golf tournament, I got to tell you my hats off to you. I just think that uh, I think that's compelling TV. Now on the other hand, if one of those young kids win, that's awesome. I mean, just watching what Thomas did at that tournament and holding out on the last hole. I mean, that's are you kidding me? I mean, this is like are you kidding me golf that they're playing right now? So uh, I think golf is alive and well. And, and I, I think it's, we're talking about it more now because of this. You don't know, you don't know who's going to win. It's kind of neat to not, is, is the 47 year old going to come through or is it going to be the young kid or is it going to be a combo or will the next one be, will Paul Casey string off three or four wins in a row? Who knows? But you know, once that once that box gets open for Casey, uh, and and he finally breaks through with another win, it, sometimes the lid stays off for a while, and you go on a nice little jaunt, and that can happen. So um, I don't know if that answered your question or not. I, I would, for me, if I have to pull, I'm thinking the older guy just by numbers alone doesn't have that much time left, whereas a young kid has seems like the rest of his life left to go, but I sure wouldn't be uh, bummed out if, if one of the young kids win. I think that's 
they're great role models and, and what they're doing for junior golf and the image that they have and uh, what they portray and that they care about themselves. And uh, I just think all that stuff is so great for the kids. Just awesome. Mark, a few more before we let you go. And like I mentioned in your intro, you won the 2013 Senior Open Championship right after your 50th birthday. And I'm curious, as a, you know, transitioning from the, from the, the PGA Tour to the Champions Tour, when, when that was getting close, were you counting down the days until you got the opportunity to go compete on the Champions Tour? Or, or is it you know, somewhat reluctant? To, to go from the from the, the you know the PGA tour the regular tour over to the Champions tour are you excited were you excited about making the transition or was it a little tough uh, you know that's a great question I, I didn't really count down because when I when I left the tour I had elbow surgery and I was I think I was around 44 45 and I was I felt like I could still play but I my my elbow was so bad that I had to have surgery and uh, so I, I had a few years on the, that I could kind of hone my game if I still wanted to play on the, uh, web.com, which at the time, I can't remember if that was nationwide or not, but anyway, uh, I was trying to hone my game, but I was in such, uh, I had no idea if I was going to get any tournaments because of all these rules and regulations and categories they have on the champions tour. It's pretty confusing, and there's there's a lot of guys that want to play golf for a living that are 50-something, so it's not like there's all these open spots. And I was more unaware of what I might get in and what I'm – and when I called the tour, it didn't look very good for me to get in many tournaments at all other than a sponsor's exemption. So I was a little bit uh, – I was excited to play, because I was going to be the youngest guy whenever I did play. I was going to be one of the youngest guys. Uh, but I, I had no idea if I was going to get in or if I was going to get an exemption or how does it work. So I was, I kind of tiptoed my way in, although, you know, I was fortunate enough I won my first tournament. So all of a sudden my life changed and I became exempt. And I didn't have to worry about the things I was worrying about prior to the win. Like, when am I going to get in? Is it going to be a week before? Am I going to know two days before? Am I going to have to go to the tournament site and sit around? I, I didn't know really anything. So uh, I was more in a, wow, I don't know. I hope this works out because I don't, this is going to be my job. I don't have a job and I, I need to work. So uh, I was, but once I got there, it became kind of, the, I will tell you the coolest thing about it was, was seeing the Bruce Litskys and the Chris Stranges and, you know, the guys that I had missed seeing and playing with and watching swing over the years on the tour. Uh, the coolest thing for me was to see those characters again and, uh, and kind of rub elbows. And instead of going out and grinding and trying to beat them, we were more into, Hey, I'll meet you after the round for a glass of wine or a martini or something. So, it, you know, our lives had changed so much that uh, it became more, and obviously it's still a business that was, I still had to make a living, but uh, it became kind of, uh, there were some fruits along the way that uh, that maybe I didn't get to taste earlier in life, but I got to taste when I turned 50. Mark, you're a great teacher. 
of the game now. And I saw the pictures from your first clinic back in uh, back in January, first clinic of the year, and and many of us have yet to be able to go out and swing the club due to the cold temperatures and the snow that everyone's dealing with in the north and over in the east. But when we do, what do you recommend that we do? How do we get started? How do we kick the rust off and get ourselves started and try to get our swings back in shape? Well, uh, there's a lot of ways to go about this. Obviously, conditioning would be the best way to go. You know, make sure you're, especially as you get in your older years, like I am, uh, stretching becomes not an elective anymore. You better stretch because if you don't, you could go break something uh, when you're swinging a golf club. So you're you're more conscious of uh, being more limber than ever. Um, the thing I always thought was great after, for me personally, after a layoff was I knew that when I came back, I was going to be 100% natural and raw. And I would have forgotten all the habits that I was trying to remember to make sure to do, I knew that I was going to have um, just natural, my natural game was going to come out. So if I could just after a, a little bit of a layoff through the winter, if I came out or when I came out, I was really excited to see something that hadn't been worked on and tweaked and adjusted and was more of here's the ball, there's the green there's the T, go tee it up and try to make, on a par four, try to make four or better. So it became more of a, uh, I was more excited for, uh, to be natural after a layoff. But um, I, I really do think the people that are itching to get a golf club in their hands, it's, it's like the people that want to go skiing in the winter. They go up, they're so excited to ski, and the first thing they do is they fall and break their thumb or, or blow a knee out or something simply because they just weren't ready physically, probably in most cases. So I think staying in some kind of golf shape throughout the winter, um, yoga, stretching, Pilates, uh, all of these type of classes are going to help you. You don't need to be a weightlifter, but, um, you know, just kind of staying in golf form, even though you're not golfing. And then when you go out, Except that the the random you know shot that is the rust falling off that goes way out of bounds or way out into the lake, you kind of slough that off and stick to your game and kind of uh, kind of go where your swing leads you and and uh, and get back into that part of golf because you know, if anything I see through my life I see us being so overly analytical about the golf swing. Um, and not enough about would you shoot because that's how we're graded by our score, not how we look. So that's my tip. Mark, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and your coaching and your teaching and all those sorts of things online and over social media as well. Well, thank you very much. That the best way to get a hold of me is uh, or See what's going on is through my website, and that is markweebygolf.com. You can always email me at mweebygolf at gmail.com and find out anything that's going on at San Jose Country Club. I teach exclusively at San Jose Country Club, and like I said, I'm the director of instruction out there, so I am totally busy in a thing I've never done in my life, and that is organizing uh, things for juniors, things for seniors, things for the 
Lady Nine Hole group and the 18 um, Hole Ladies group and trying to put together clinics and fun stuff at the club. So, but really focusing, uh, especially this summer, on getting into junior golf. And we've started some new, uh, new things out at San Jose Country Club, new junior programs that we're very excited about. And uh, that's, that's the way to get home. You can always go to San Jose Country Club. Uh, com as well and they my I have a tab on their website and you can see my lesson times or see what's going on out at San Jose Country Club at any time. Mark it's always so great getting to spend time with you it's never enough time so many other things I was hoping that we we could get into unfortunately just don't have enough time tonight I hope you'll come back soon and share more of your stories and insights uh, with us because you're fantastic my friend. Well you're too nice Chris i I appreciate the time, and as always, love chatting with you. Mark, take care. All the best to you and your family. Like I say, I hope we get the privilege of having you back on the show again real soon. Take care. Thanks so much, buddy. We'll talk to you. All right. Take care, Mark. That is the great Mark Wiebe. Again, you know, you look at you know the, the, his record over the time, and we didn't get to go back. I wanted to spend some time talking about his time at San Jose State because he was such a great competitor when he was in college. But you look at the, the Senior Open Championship, his wins out on tour, his insights for what goes on both on the regular tour and over on the Champions Tour. And just to you know get to spend some time with Mark is always such a privilege, and I always enjoy it so much. Time goes by so fast. Hopefully uh, next time we get the opportunity to uh, to talk about some more of those things and obviously get some more of his playing lessons because he's a great instructor now. I've got my next guest, Guy Burrows, hanging on the line. We're going to get the guy on the other side of this quick station break. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGASuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Guy Burrows. Let me remind you about Guy's background. He is from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Played his college golf at the University of Iowa, where he was named All-Big Ten three times. He shot an Iowa record 66 at the 1985 Big Ten Championship and his 54-hole total of 213 at the Purdue Invitational in 1986 remains among one of their top 54-hole scores. He turned pro back in 1986. In 1989, he won the Atlanta Classic and won again at the 1991 British Columbia Open. He also won the 2001 Tri-Cities Open and the 2003 Lake Erie uh, Charity Classic on the Web.com Tour. On the PGA Tour, he won the 1996 Greater Vancouver Open, making it five victories up in Canada, and he won the 1991 Canadian Order of Merit. His father is Hall of Famer Julius Boros. Guy caddied for him for a time when they were out on tour. Julius won 18 times on the PGA Tour, including three majors the 1952 and 1963 U.S. Opens, and the 1968 PGA Championship, which he did, oh, by the way, at age 48, making him the oldest winner to win a major. Guy finished tied for 15th at the Champions Tour Q School back in December, thanks to three great rounds in the 60s, and I'm excited he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Guy, Chris Mascaro here. Thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, my pleasure. How you doing? I'm doing really well, Guy. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. And, oh, by the way, Mark Wiebe sends his best. He wanted me to be sure to say hello to you. 
So uh, he, that's who I was talking to prior to you joining the show. So I wanted to make sure you knew that he was thinking about you. Yeah, he's a good guy, Mark. Good player, too. And, Guy, when he and I were talking earlier, you know, we're seeing the 40-something-year-old guys playing much better, you know, and, and reminding the young guns out there that they're still around. Phil playing well and winning a couple of weeks ago. Paul Casey at 41 on Sunday. Tiger back in the mix. Rory Sabatini at top five this past weekend. Wanted to get your thoughts on the resurgence of the guys that are north of 40. I tell you what, it's nice to see. It's, um, you know, for guys that probably not as long as the young guys, but they can still score and still play very well. You know, it's, um, it's really good to see. And, guys, I mentioned in your intro, your father, Julius, won the PGA Championship in 1968 at the age of 48, remaining the oldest golfer to ever win a major. Still a force out on tour when he was in his early 50s. So, you know, when you look at guys of that age, right, and, you know, Phil and Tiger did that, you know, Twitter would explode. But this isn't anything new, seeing guys, you know, like your father and Sam Snead, who was at the tops of leaderboards well into his 60s. Talk about, you know, your father's success and what he was able to do to keep himself, you know, in tip-top shape and in at the top of leaderboards, like I say, not only at 48, but into his 50s. Yeah, he was competitive in his mid-50s. He died for Westchester, I think, when he was 55. But my dad was always, you know, such a good ball striker. And, you know, it's hard, it's hard to play golf that long competitively, you know, practicing day after day. It takes a toll on your body. So I think, you know, guys can stay healthy and keep, you know, keep uh, their talent with them. It, it can last a long time. And my dad made it look so know- easy hitting by himself. What was it about your father that, you know, he was able to, you know, remain so competitive so late in his career? Was there a routine that he did? Was there a, something on the practice, you know, tee that he did? How, how did he keep it together so long? Yeah, I think his swing had a lot to do, to, do with it, too. And his uh, attitude towards the game took it, you know, he knew there's more important things in life. So I think that is part of it. And he, he loved to practice at balls. Yeah, that, that helped a lot, too. And, Guy, like I say, you, you caddied for your dad for a while. What was it like being inside the ropes and, you know, being with him? What Was there something about, you know, the two of you being together? Was it always just golf while you were in, inside the ropes together and while you were on his bag, or did you distract him a little bit? Did you guys talk about other things that weren't golf-related in between shots? Yeah, we talked about a lot of other things. Most of it was probably fishing and how I was doing in school. <laughs> Make sure I was passing. That was, uh, now that I look back, that was some of the best times of my life. So I, I, I enjoyed it. And guy, looking ahead to this summer, the U.S. Open is going to be played at Shinnecock Hills. You played in the 95 U.S. Open there. Talk about what you remember about that Open and about the golf course as well. Well, I remember Shinnecock's got to be one of my favorites. What a good golf course it is. And I remember it's hard, hard golf course. And I didn't play 18 very well. I know that. I think I played it six over maybe for three days. Yeah, I played it. I remember playing very well. You know, I always loved the U.S. Open. It's probably my dad's favorite tournament. So he always played well there. And, you know, it's uh, probably the best tournament. Most likely, you know, the guys want to win. And, Guy, like I said in your intro as well, I saw back in December you went to Champions uh, Tour Q School and played 
pretty darn well. Finished 11 under par, three rounds in the 60s, including a 66 and a 65 in the second and third rounds. You finished tied for 15th. So first of all, I wonder, is, is it still top five get exempt and the next seven are conditionally exempt? How did, how did it turn out at, the, at Q School for you? It's actually, they switched it. It's uh, flat five cards for the year, and then there's no conditional cards after that. It's just five. That's all they do. They, so are you going to continue to try to play out on the Champions Tour? I, I am. I played pretty well there at tour school. Figured, didn't play very good the last day, but a couple bad breaks. Didn't hit it as good as the first three. And, you know, I've been getting help from a friend of mine with lessons, so. I haven't taken too many in my life, but it, it's it's helped quite a bit. Get a little confidence back, and I'm starting to play play much better. So you're going to be trying to do like the Monday qualifiers, or what? What are you going to try to do from here to get into some of the tournaments? Yeah, so Mondays are that's the only option to get in. So I missed a playoff in Boca, and close in the other two, missed one by one. So you know, I, I think I'm I'm not ready to hang it up yet. I'm gonna give it give it a little more of a go. And the events that you played last year, I saw, boy, you were still, you're driving the ball 290 yards, so you're still hitting it a long way. Talk about how, you know, the state of your game and uh, and what you're working on. You know, I got in some bad habits trying to hit it farther. You know, my swing changed and it got into the rest of my game, my irons and, you know, driver, three wood, just, you know, bad habits and they're hard to get out of, that's for sure. And like I said, I've got a friend helping me and I'm on the right track back. I'm striking it much better. Flight of the ball is much better, so and I feel a lot more confident going into playing golf. So it sort of begs the question: What's in your bag? What? Who? Who's? Uh, whose clubs are you playing? What golf ball are you playing? I've got Titleist uh, Pro VX, and I've got TaylorMade, mostly TaylorMade, and some Cleveland wedges that I enjoy. So, guys, you know, as we look ahead a couple of weeks to the Masters at Augusta National, I imagine you, you spent some time there, you know, during your, your playing career and then obviously, you know, around your father as well. Talk about some of the things you remember about Augusta National. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's good, good golf course. I, the greens are just, it's, um, it, it sure helps to play there a couple of times. It seems like to know where to where not to hit it and where to miss it too and have uphills, you know, makeable putts instead of, downhill curling ones it's just it's a good good golf course beautiful there so who who do you think who who are the the, the guys that you, you would favor going into this year is it is it tiger and phil and the older guys that uh you know are playing well and are around the top of the leaderboard and have the experience from playing there or do you like some of the younger guys yeah these younger guys so good they hit it so far and they you know just unbelievable talent but like i said i think it sure helps to have a little experience going around there playing it a few times so it seems like the more you play it the better you'd be able to play it so i don't know it's uh it'll be interesting to see a tiger sure played good off last week and phil's playing well and it's uh you know it's fun to see and guy talk about what you're doing now oh you know outside of you know trying to get back on on the champions tour away from the tour what are you doing Away from the tour, I've got a couple of kids. One's getting ready to go to college, and my daughter Jamie play volleyball, and TJ, my son, he's he's playing a lot of golf, so I play some with him, help him out a little bit, and you know do a little bit of fishing and just practicing. And when you're when you're working with TJ and you're helping him with his game, what are some of the things that you try to instill in him that maybe your father passed down to you or others have passed down to you over the course of your career? 
you know, my dad was always big in the grip and the setup. So, you know, he figures if you're not, you not to have a good setup to the golf ball, you're not going to be able to hit it very well. So we work on that and mostly tempo and balance. He swings pretty hard at it. It hits it a long way. So just not straight all the time. So try to get him a little more consistent. And with the tempo and the balance, I think the very important things in the golf swing. How about on the mental side? You know, I know my son is a junior golfer, and some of the th- sometimes he struggles. You know, if he if he makes a bad swing, if he has a bad hole, he tends to you know lose it a little mentally. You got to bring him back in and, and get him back you know on track. How do you help your son from a, on the mental approach? You know, I try to try to tell him it's you know it's gone, it's in the past. Nothing you can do about it. You know, for, try to forget about it and do the best you can. Play each shot, shot by shot. You know, if you get it one, two under, playing well, don't think about what you can shoot or, you know, you have to play it hole by hole, shot by shot. And try to keep it fun for them. You know, golf, it's a tough, tough game. It's very frustrating mentally, physically. And it's, uh, you know, I try to tell them it's a game of good misses. Because not very often, even the best players in the world hit perfect shots. So when you can miss it well and you hit good misses, that's when you score well. Guy, around the greens, pitching and chipping, are you a proponent? Do you use lots of different clubs? Do you, do you like one club? Are you a 60-degree guy that uses that You know, anytime you're in or around the green? Or do you chip using pitching wedge, 9-iron, 8-iron, depending on where you are, or, you know, how close you are to the green, that sort of thing? What's your chipping approach? The chipping, when I get I want to get it on the ground as fast as I can and fly at the least amount that I have to. You know, I want to get it on the green rolling like a putt. And I think the shorter the swing and the less distance that you have to fly it, you know, a lot less things that can go wrong. I I have a 58 and 54. 54 I use most of the time when I can. And, you know, the 58, like, I'm not a good 60 user, so I, I got a 58. I like it. I hit that quite a bit, but, you know, usually when I have to flop it or stop it pretty quick. Guy, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, follow you, whether it's online or it's over social media? Yeah, just mostly to the PGA Tour. I got an Instagram account. I wish I knew the – I don't even know my username. My kids set it up for me. And I'm on a couple of things with them, but that's about it. Well, Guy, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to be a part of the show again. I hope you'll come back and, and keep us up to date with how things are going for you out on the Champions Tour. I look forward to seeing you at the top of leaderboards and, and getting back out there. It's been great having you back on the show again tonight. All right, Chris. Thank you very much. Anytime. All right, Guy. Take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. You too. That is Guy Burroughs, and uh, he is on Instagram. That's how Guy and I got together, and I got to see, you know, several of the pictures that he's posted. A lot of them, like he said, he's doing a lot of fishing these days. Got a got a, a lot of great pictures of him out on the lake and uh, and with his kids. But you know, you look at 11 under par, three rounds in the 60s at the uh, at the Champions Tour Q School, a 66 and a 65. I'm sure if he's made a tweak or two here or there that we're going to see him back you know, out on the leaderboard of the Champions Tour again real soon. Hopefully we'll get the opportunity to have him back here to talk all about it. He's fantastic. I really enjoy getting to know him. Before I get to my next guest, Tim Orban, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors. First, folks, have you heard me talking about Club Hub Sensors over the last few months? 
It's the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out on the market. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Clubhub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the Clubhub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Android or iPhones. The app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And no other rangefinder can do all that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Clubhub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off of all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market at a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the course are essential, whether you're playing you know, out on tour in the club championship or just your weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar is the golfer's nutritional bar, and they can help you with both of those things, energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest over the next three holes until it's finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online to parbargolf.com and order yours today. Now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Tim Orban. Tim is the caddy services manager for the Western Golf Association. He caddied at Ridge Country Club and was awarded the Evans Scholarship to uh, attend Northern Illinois University. Prior to joining the Western Golf Association, Tim was the assistant golf pro at Presswick Country Club up in Frankfurt, Illinois. He's a PGA professional, and I'm very excited that he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be joining you. So thanks so much for taking some time. Uh, thank you, Tim. And and Tim, like I mentioned in your intro, you started caddying at Ridge, uh, Ridge Country Club, which is a historic golf course dating all the way back to 1902. Talk about what it was like getting your start caddying and doing so at such a historic golf course. Sure. Um, so really it goes back to, I was 13 years old, so about a seventh grader, and it was about that time in my life where you know, was starting to think about, you know, making a little bit of money and uh, options are certainly limited for young teenagers. And I was very fortunate to live uh, within about a mile or so of a club with a caddy program. And, uh, you know, some parts of the country, there's a lot of youth caddy opportunities. And I was one of those young people. So I kind of moseyed on up and I may have been strongly encouraged by my family. And I had a brother caddying and a father and uncle and there was a little bit of caddying in the blood, so I moseyed on up and didn't know a whole lot about golf or caddying, but uh, you know had good attitude and, and brought some good effort and was fortunate enough to start looping. And uh, you know it's really been a pretty much a love affair ever since. So got obviously continuously better and, and caddied through my high school years and was fortunate enough to receive a full tuition and housing Evan scholarship, and uh, that really changed my life and. You know, caddying fostered my love for the game of golf. So, you know, through Monday golf and all the other opportunities and doors that opened, it was, uh, it's just been a game changer for me. So I'm very fortunate to have found it and uh, want to make sure we continue to pro- provide those opportunities for, 
you know, thousands of more young people to come throughout the country. And Tim, as I was doing some research on, on you and speaking of historic golf courses, I saw back in March of 2015, your team won a scramble at a Cog Hill Golf and Country Club, which hosted the Western Open for, for many years, more recently the BMW Championship in the, in the mid to the late you know, 2007, 2009, 2011. But talk about what it was like playing and winning at Cog Hill. Well, as you know, Cog Hill's got, you know, four great golf courses, and the Jumpstick family are, are certainly, you know, a first-class golf family and, and just continue to do things the right way. But I can tell you, you know, if you have or have not played Dubs Dread, uh, certainly you need to make sure your bunker game is uh, is up to speed. And uh, nonetheless, you know, it's it's a fair golf course, and uh, Reese Jones, I believe, did the redesign, and uh it rewards good golf and, and certainly can be a little bit penal. So uh, like anyone else, you know, you get a little hot putter and get in a groove and, you know, some good things happen. So um, Cod Hill was, has been a great partner for Western golf, um, hosting, you know, many Western Opens and ultimately BMW championships. And, you know, a lot of uh, great players have, have walked those grounds, including Tiger himself. And uh, it's just fun to you know, really play the same same golf courses and achieve a little bit of success, um, you know, at a historic place like that. So wonderful public facility, great practice facility. And they actually offer caddies as well, uh, which is unique for a public golf course, a daily fee. Uh, they offer them on number four, Dubs Dread, which is the tournament course. So a very special place. And Tim, Caddy Hall of Famer and the head of the Professional Caddies Association, Caddy Association, Dennis Cohn, is a great friend of the show. And I believe the sure. two of you have been working together on a program called Carry the Game. Talk about what that program is and the work you and Dennis are doing. Sure. And uh, Dennis is the best, no doubt about it. And a um, couple things. So really, you know, it goes back a couple years. And our good friend Steve Mona and the World Golf Foundation uh, and I think Dennis was, was knocking on the door a little bit, trying to shine a little bit of light on caddying and how it can be such a great tool to continue to grow the game and, and, and keep the game young and bring new people to it. And nonetheless, with the help of Steve Mona and his team at World Golf, he pulled together different leaders within the caddy space throughout the country. So uh, smaller local caddy scholarships, uh, youth player development, uh folks, you know, such as PJ of America and Youth on Course, First Tee, and really kind of pulled everyone together for the first time in one room all at the same time to talk about, hey, how can we continue, how can we work together to really streamline and continue to produce more and more youth caddy opportunities? And we at Western Golf have been very much national in nature and in terms of scope, and we partner with, you know, over a thousand clubs throughout the country and it is something, though, that youth caddying isn't everywhere. We'd like to see it a little more prevalent in all 50 states, and so any young person anywhere can get connected to opportunities. So going back to the PGA show a couple years ago, we started having some conversation and, um, you know, really kind of taking a look and, and saying, what can we do better? You know, we think we're doing all right, but we can do more. We can do better. And Dennis, you know, in the, in the PCA and his team, and as – I mentioned Youth Think Course and PGA of America and um, National Club Association, the first tee, and some of our friends at Jay Wood Platt and Francis we met in New Jersey and, and uh, the Metropolitan Golf Association, all our different friends, we really kind of came together and said, all right, we have this new idea, this concept, and we want to call it Carry the Game. 
So utilizing youth caddying as an on-ramp to get more young people involved in the game of golf and then also help bridge those who are already involved in the game of golf, connecting them to caddy opportunities during their teenage years to really kind of galvanize that relationship with the long-term goal being, you know, creating lifelong golfers and really making sure that young people are aware of these, these wonderful scholarship opportunities, such as the Evans Scholarship, but also such as the Jay Wood Platt Caddy Scholarship and the Westchester Caddy Scholarship and Long Island and New Jersey and Francis We Met, all these other great opportunities. So um, last summer, actually right around the U.S. Open, myself and our, our present CEO and chairman, we approached Steve uh, Mona and, with the World Golf Foundation and, and really made a lead gift and, and offered to kind of take the reins with this initiative and continue to pull everyone together and all the different little regions and, and spaces within the caddy world and get everyone working together and kind of pulling in the same direction. And we're very excited. So so Steve kind of gave us his blessing and then we approached for us. It was a golf 2020 subcommittee and kind of rolled it out to everyone and was really met with very positive feedback. And I think everyone's excited to really roll up our sleeves and get to work and con- continue to do some of the great work that we've been doing, but also you know, implement and execute new creative ideas to continue to add to the youth caddy space. So we're really excited, and uh, we just announced it formally at the end of January down at the PGA show, and we're really just now kind of getting started in terms of creating some programming and really connecting the dots and, most importantly, connecting young people to caddy and golf opportunities. So we couldn't be more excited, and it's a great time to be a young person and uh you know, we want to just shine a spotlight on youth caddying and, and make sure we're populating those existing caddy programs with young people that need opportunities. So we're, we're, we couldn't be more excited. And to that end, Tim, are you starting to see more golf courses jump on board, institute caddy programs than, uh, than what we've had in the past? Yes. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Some people think, uh, I mean, certainly caddying has its challenges and a lot of that's tied to golf and the economy overall, but, by and large, really over the last several years, caddying's flourished at you know a number of facilities. Um, no doubt, I'd be remiss to not acknowledge that there are some facilities where it does it's had its challenges. But you know, really in the last 15 years, 10 years, adding golf courses like Bandon Dunes and Stream Song in Sand Valley, we're talking tens of thousands of caddy rounds. So it's really been a game changer, um, and certainly creative solutions to have caddying become available to young people, it's been great. So the traditional model of being at private clubs uh, has, has worked very well, you know, over, over time. And we've also seen it really kind of pop up at some daily fee golf courses. So whether it be a, a subsidized youth, youth program or offering caddy academies, so such as our friends in Colorado, the Solich Caddy Leadership Academy, uh, we at Western Golf, have a men's and a women's. Actually, we started with the women's. We just added a young men's caddy academy. We have over 100 young women from all over the country who don't have access to youth caddy programs. And we bring them to Chicago and we plug into existing caddy programs and we train them and feed them and do leadership and mentoring and all that fun stuff. So there's quite a few different opportunities. And we've also you know, partnered with uh, our friends at Caddy Now and, and Club Up and some some really great people that have come up and utilized technology 
in terms of bringing caddying and really streamlining things and, and maybe bringing it to some facilities that don't have existing caddy programs and just trying to make sure that if you're a young person sitting at home or, or at the golf course and you want a caddy, we want to get creative and make sure that we're providing these opportunities. And we've really started to see some cool, new, exciting ways highlighted by some of these caddy academies, but also really working with existing, maybe traditional adult models and onboarding youth successfully. So having them carry single bags, creating the different price point, um, and really providing training materials, which we've done at Western Golf, and we'll continue to kind of ramp up via carry the game and make sure that we can take a young person who may not be familiar with golf and bring them up to speed quickly to where they can caddy regularly and successfully. So we've had that happen in called maybe non-traditional regions where youth caddying's been. So Southeast Florida, for example, South Carolina, uh, California. So we've really, really kind of created some new opportunities. We've got a lot of work to do, but we're very excited at the positive reviews and, and really changing the culture at the club level. So a lot of golfers have been, you know, pleasantly surprised of, of experiencing a young caddy. Some have just never had the opportunity. So we've really shined a light on it. We've exposed some people in a, a positive way to the opportunities. And really, as you know, golfers are very philanthropic. So allowing them to have that mentoring aspect has just been wildly successful. And it, it, it's a game that is golf that spans generations. And I think people really gravitate towards that. So there's something disarming about having a young man or woman on your back that, you know, you're mentoring and showing the game and teaching the etiquette to. And, and it's just been remarkable. And we want to make sure we continue to do that, as I mentioned. Tim, just a couple more before we let you go. But if you're a young sure. person or, you know, a parent of, of a young person and you want to get your son or daughter involved in, in trying to become a caddy where where can they go to find out where where they're you know you talk about you know caddy academies or courses that are offering mm -hmm. caddy programs how, how do we find out that information so that they can get involved sure so our existing website for western golf association and the evan scholars foundation that's wgaesf.org there's a caddy section and in there you can find caddy trainment training materials you can watch a video which is you know really geared towards beginners a manual which you can download and read kind of a to z all the nuances of caddying uh there's an exam you could take a practice test and within that too there's also what we have called a caddy club locator so depending where you live you can kind of plug in your zip code and see some existing local youth caddy programs and with carry the game this new initiative we're actually in the process of building out a a brand new kind of standalone website, which will be at carrythegame.org. And we're going to really kind of build upon the existing infrastructure, such as the Caddy Locator, and then have direct links to these different Caddy Academies that are available. So any young person anywhere in the country, if they don't have access to a, a Caddy program uh, through the WGA Caddy Academies, that is certainly an option. And it's geared towards ninth graders uh, in different parts of the country. And on that same section of our website, WGAESF.org, they can find out information, more day in the life, how do I apply, and there's an online application right there. And then if you live in the Colorado region, um, you know, obviously the Soul Edge Caddy Academy. If you live in the greater Milwaukee, Wisconsin region, there's the Southeast Caddy and Leadership Academy of Southern Wisconsin, and all sorts of different great options. So, uh, 
via our website, we want to really make sure we connect and kind of streamline getting all those different youth caddy opportunities in one place. But the caddy club locator is the best bet for someone to find existing programs. And if there is an Eddie or they're not sure, they're welcome to contact me at Orbon, O-R-B-O-N, at WGAESF.org. And I'm happy to make sure and kind of connect them with the club and, and get young people working that want to do so. What about the, the the rest of us, the players that might, you know, really love the opportunity to go play a golf course that has a caddy? Does sure. that caddy locator let us know what clubs offer caddy, you know, caddies to to players, or is there someplace else we can go to find out that information? Actually, that you could do it in the same place as well. So what we do is we'll put the club, the address, and contact information. Uh, typically, we'll have the caddy manager on there, but you can see golf courses. Uh, that do offer caddies. So we've had several, as I mentioned, public facilities that are now offering caddies, which is just great. Um, and as I mentioned as well, via Caddy Now and, and Club Up and some of the technology platforms that are available, think Uber for caddies. Uh, they also have a list of facilities, depending on where you live throughout the country, that you can access it as well. So that's really what we want to make sure we do. We know there's an appetite for it. We want to make sure that golfers know that if this is something you're interested, this is where you can go, and this is how you can go about, you know, helping change the life of a young person. Well, Tim, this is all fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and giving us this information and sharing the stories and about the great work you guys are doing. I hope you'll come back and keep us updated on how things are progressing and as the programs, you know, grow, as the number of courses grow, as the number of sites that offer caddies and where kids can go to learn to be caddies. This is fantastic stuff. And, and Dennis is, is, is fantastic, as you mentioned earlier. And I'm a huge Dennis Cohn fan and a Steve Mona fan. Steve's been on the show several times as well. And kudos sure. to all three of you guys for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you, Chris. And you keep up the great work. I, I certainly enjoy what you do. And, uh, you know, you got me excited to play golf and uh, I'm ready to tee it up and, and get a young person on my bag. So, Thanks for being such an advocate for golfers, and, and thanks for giving me a chance to talk a little bit about youth caddying and uh, some of the benefits. So keep up the great work, and I, I'd be happy to circle back with you and give you kind of an update and, and just share with some of your wonderful listeners too. Yeah, I appreciate that, Tim. We look forward to having you back on the show again soon and hearing about the great things you guys are doing to help grow the game. Kudos to you guys. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care. All right. All the best to you and your family, Tim. That is Tim Orban, and again, the site is WGAESF.org and for the, the Western Golf Association. And, and uh, folks, as you know, Dennis Cohn has been on the show several times, as has Steve Mona. And uh, this initiative to get caddies out there and to uh, bring caddies back to the game and give kids the opportunity to learn about the game and bring more, you know, kids to the game, more junior players. You, you know, you put a club in their hands and and uh, and away they're going to go. But you got to get them on the golf course first. And that first, and that's one of the things that Dennis said to me just last night as he and I were communicating about this. You know, get them to the course, and then uh, you're going to get a club in their hands, and you're going to have a golfer for for life. So kudos to all of them for the great stuff that they are doing to bring caddies back to the game. Folks, before we close up shop, you know, like we always like to do here on Next on the Tee, we want to remind you about our friend and PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great work that he and his team are doing at, uh, for the Salute Military Golf Association. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. 
Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yes, indeed. They continue to do some amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. Folks, to find out more information, and to see how you can get involved, go online to smga.org. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out to Mark Wiebe, Guy Burroughs, and Tim Orman for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Team with Chris Mascaro, right there. Give me your comments, your feedback. Plus, if you have a question... For one of our future guests or someone who's already been on the show, please let me know. Put a comment in there. I'll be glad to get that question answered for you. You can go online to our website, nextonthetea.net. From there, you can see who some of our future guests are going to be. You can see also a lineup of uh, folks that have joined us over the last couple of months. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe LaGenusa. That show airs live every Thursday night. From 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, you can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. And that show like this one is also available as a free podcast over on Podbean and iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories about their playing days and their insights into what's going on around the league now. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And again, this show, NextOnTheT.net. Folks, thank you so much for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We know you've got a thousand podcasts and shows you have the opportunity to listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. Where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.